0: Well, hello, church family. Well, it's good to be here with y'all this morning. Um, It's been fun these past couple of weeks, you know, learning how to preach to a camera. Uh, I never thought I'd become a tele-evangelist, but uh, that's what I've become. Just going to add that to the resume. But um, we're going to be in John chapter 1 this morning, so if you want to go ahead and open there, uh, we'll be in verses 35 through 51 uh, but today, we're going to start a new series that will continue over the next couple of weeks uh, as we examine different conversations that Jesus had with different types of people. And our prayer is that throughout this series, um, that our hearts would be kindled afresh again as to why we follow Jesus. And, uh, and if you're listening right now, if you're here in this room or if you're listening online and you're not a follower of Jesus... Um, I just want to say, man, we're really glad that you're joining us right now, and my prayer for you is that as we dive in to the Gospel of John, that you would just have an open mind, and you would examine for yourself who Jesus is. Uh, But before we dive in, I think it'd be wise for us to pray again, and so if you would, would you please bow with me as we ask for God's kindness to open our eyes to the Scriptures? Oh, Father God, we we love you. Um, we are so grateful for your provision, for the ways that you've shown us your love, for the ways that you've given us your grace. And, and God, we pray that right now that you would open our eyes to your word, that we wouldn't just go through the motions, but that we would dive deep and we would ask God, what do you want us to take from this? What do you want us to apply to our lives? How can we glorify you? And so we give you this time And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me give you a little background uh, before we dive into verse 35, because I always think it's important to understand the context behind the verses that you're studying. Uh, But you'll notice at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, if you look at verse 1, you'll see the first 18 verses, um, there's a really neat prologue that really summarizes John's premise in writing this letter. And he says this in verse 1, He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then if you scroll down to verse 14, uh, it says that the Word, which in the Greek language is this word logos, took on flesh and dwelt among men. And this is important because we see that John uses this Greek word, logos, to powerfully describe who Jesus is. Uh, Timothy Keller mentions this in his book, Encounters with Jesus, uh, which we'll refer to uh, throughout this series. I highly recommend it. But he says there that John intentionally steals this Greek philosophical term in order to say something really powerful about the person of Jesus. He says this, the Greeks believed that the universe had a rational and moral order to it, and this order of nature, so to speak, was called the logos. For the Greeks, the meaning of life was to contemplate and to discern this order in the world, and a well-lived life was one that conformed to this order. That's logos. Logos. And so what John intentionally does here is he borrows this Greek word in order to showcase that life is not meaningless. It's not by chance. Rather, it is ordered around a person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he says, if you want to grasp what life is all about, then set your gaze on him. Find your purpose in him. And everything else falls into place. That's John's premise That's his purpose in writing this gospel. He says everything is for Jesus, and everything was created for him and through him, and it's weaved into everything that he writes. So with that in mind, let's jump into verse 35. It says this. Again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned, and he saw them following, and he said to them, What do you seek? And they said to Jesus, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak And followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And Andrew found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought his brother to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. All right, let's stop there. It's important to know that back in the days of Jesus, there were no universities. And so if you wanted to be a student, you would attach yourself to a teacher, and that's what we see here in this passage. Two students had attached themselves to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is kind of this edgy, revolutionary kind of teacher. He lives out in the wilderness. He eats honey and locusts, and when he preaches, he plays no games. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. That was his message. Okay, no opening funny illustration, just you better repent because God's coming. And it was working, like people are getting baptized, there's a revival happening. But when John the Baptist lays his eyes on Jesus, he says these words, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And from that point forward, John the Baptist fades out of the picture and Jesus Christ becomes the focal point. And when two of John's disciples heard John the Baptist make this remarkable claim about Jesus, they stopped following John and they started to follow Jesus. And I want you to focus in now on verse 38. As Jesus sees their desire to follow him, he asks them this really poignant question. He says, what? Do you seek? Or, in other words, what do you want? What are you looking for? Why are you following me? Uh, and his question reminded me of when I first started dating my wife, Rachel. <laughs> um, she was like my first real girlfriend. I had some pretend ones before that, but she was like the first real deal. Okay, and uh, before we started dating, um, I was having a hard time taking that first step of like asking her to be my girlfriend. Um, Because I'd never done this before, and I I lacked confidence, and I was struggling to be bold. And I remember we went to this Starbucks, which is actually right down the street, and she asked me this question. She said, Jason, do you have any feelings for me at all? (laughs) And I liked her a lot, but like I was so nervous that all I could do was smile big and nod. (laughs) <laughs> That's all I could do. But hey, it was effective. She's my wife now, okay? So haters going to hate, okay? But the reason, okay, the reason that Rachel asked me that question is because we had been talking for a while and the young people know in this room that it was time for us to DTR, okay? Uh, we needed to define the relationship, okay? Which is really important because if you don't define the relationship, if there are differing expectations as to what this relationship is, it can lead to a lot of confusion and a lot of pain. And I see this happen all of the time. A young couple gets into a relationship. They don't talk about expectations. The guy just wants to keep things casual. He wants to fool around a little bit physically, and then he wants to move on. But the girl's like, no, I, I love this guy. I want to spend the rest of my life with him. And so when she gives up her body to him and then realizes after the fact that he doesn't feel the same way about her that she feels about him, she feels used. She feels taken advantage of. And it's an extremely painful process. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He never does that. He never leaves us guessing what his intentions are. He never promises us something and then doesn't follow through. He never plays with our emotions. Rather, he's upfront about the relationship. He says, this is what I'm all about. Here's my heart. Here's where I'm going. Here's my intentions. And then he'll ask, is that something you want to be a part of or not? And that's what Jesus does here in this passage. He asks these disciples, he says, what are you looking for in this relationship? What are you hoping to get out of this? And then I'll tell you whether or not we're on the same page. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't say, hey, what do you believe? He doesn't even ask, like, what do you know? Rather, he says, what are you seeking? What do you want? What do you want? It's the most piercing question that Jesus could ask. And it's a question that he beckons to anybody who would truly desire to follow him. Because Jesus doesn't just want your faith. He doesn't only want your knowledge. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He says, what is it that you seek? What are you hoping to gain from this relationship? Are you hoping for an easier life? Are you hoping that you'll just be accepted? Are you hoping that I'll just answer all of your prayers? What? are you wanting out of this relationship? And the reason that Jesus asks this is because at the very root of discipleship is an invitation to align our loves and our longings with Jesus. To want what God wants. To desire what He desires. To hunger and thirst for a kingdom in which He rules. That's what Jesus is implying here when He asks, what is it? that you seek and it's a question that all of us who follow jesus must answer like ask yourself like what am i dreaming about what captures my attention what fuels my hopes and my longings how do i spend my money and my time what am i seeking where's my heart Philip Yancey says this in his book, Disappointment with God, that most people get disappointed with God because they have expectations of God that he's never, ever promised them. And we get frustrated with God because we come to find out that his expectations are different from ours. And I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times in my life where I've tried to force something to happen, but the reality is that was never part of God's plan. I just didn't want to know about it. Psalm 37 and 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that doesn't mean, hey, follow God, and He'll answer all of your selfish prayers. No, the psalmist says, delight yourself in God. Enjoy God. And as you enjoy God, what you enjoy changes. You catch that? When you delight yourself in God, what you enjoy will change. What you desire will change. How you pray will change. God, not my will, but yours be done. That's what maturity in Christ looks like. You see, becoming a Christian is about being transformed. We don't transform God. God doesn't change. We don't transform Him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We're the ones that change. And it's a question that I have to ask myself. Is that something that I desire? Am I willing to change and conform to His ways? What Am I seeking? Notice in the passage, the disciples respond to Jesus' question by asking him where he's staying, which I think is kind of weird. You know, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, y'all are strangers. I'm not going to give you my address, okay? But it's a different time, and Jesus is omniscient, and he's all-powerful, so he can do whatever he wants. But basically, uh, their answer is, hey, um, we're not sure what we're seeking, but we would like to learn more. And Jesus responds, well, come and see. Come and see. And I love that. I love how upfront Jesus is. He's so authentic. He's so inviting. He says, if you want to learn more about who I am and what I'm about, come and see. I've got nothing to hide. I've got nothing to hide. And we don't know what all Jesus told them. But we do know that whatever he told them rocked their world. Because by the end of the day, Andrew, who is one of the two disciples that left John to follow Jesus, is like, I got to tell somebody about this Jesus guy. And so Andrew goes and he finds his brother Simon. And he says, hey, you're not going to believe it, but we found the Messiah, bro. Come and check it out. And he brings his brother Simon to Jesus. Okay, side note real quick. One thing that's really cool about Andrew He's only mentioned three times in the Gospels. And every time that he's mentioned, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Every time Andrew is mentioned, he is bringing somebody to Jesus. When you truly grasp who Jesus is, you can't help but bring others to him. That's Andrew. And my question to you, church, my question to myself, is who is God calling you to bring Who are you bringing to Jesus? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything that I've commanded. Those were some of Jesus' last words before he left this earth. And if that's not your heart, then perhaps you should contemplate a little deeper on Jesus' question. What are you seeking? Because if you want what God wants, then your heart is going to be to bring people to Jesus. Let's be like Andrew, church. Let's be like Andrew. But look at verse 42. Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and he says, Simon, son of John, you've got a new name now, brother. You're going to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And as you know, Peter will become the rock that Jesus will build his church on. And that's what happens when you truly encounter Jesus. You walk away transformed. That's what God does. When you come to to Christ, he takes you as you are, but he never leaves you as you are because he's got work for you to do. And he shows that here with Peter. But let's transition now by reading Jesus' interaction with Nathanael starting in verse 43. It says this, The next day, Jesus purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to Philip, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said back to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, and he said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel and Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, there's a lot here, okay? but I want to touch on a few things that I think are just super important. But first we see Jesus, as Jesus continues his journey to Galilee, he finds a guy by the name of Philip. And Jesus says, hey, Philip, come follow me. And then Philip starts to follow Jesus. But once Philip starts following Jesus, he's like, i got to find my boy Nathaniel." And so he goes and finds Nathaniel, And he's like, "Nathaniel, we found the one that Moses, the law and the prophets wrote about, the Messiah. He's here. <laughs> Notice the pattern here. There's a pattern all throughout. When people follow Jesus, they naturally go and tell others about Jesus. And they do so immediately. Immediately. It's not, hey, once you come to know Christ, go get plugged into the church for five years. Once you become a little more mature, then start sharing Christ. It's not, hey, work on some of those sin issues you got. And once you get better, a better grasp on those, then start sharing Christ. We don't see that in the Gospels. The biblical picture here is once you encounter Jesus, once you start following Jesus, you go start sharing immediately with other people and start telling them about Jesus. All we do is we say, hey, listen, if you have sinned, this is how you get out of your sin, by trusting in Jesus. It's that simple. It's gospel. You don't have to have all of the answers, just the gospel. You're a sinner, but God loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead. Believe in Him. Boom, gospel. Start sharing that immediately. That's the biblical picture of evangelism. Don't wait till you're a mature Christian to start sharing Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, start sharing right now, right now. That's the biblical picture. And the natural question is, like, okay, well, with who? Like, who do I share Christ with? Well, start with the people closest to you. That's what the disciples did. Andrew started with his own brother. Philip apparently had a really good friend named Nathaniel, so he started with him. Uh, I personally can relate to this. Uh, Christ grabbed a hold of my heart um, summer before college on a mission trip, and it shook me to the core. Um, I could not believe that God would be so gracious towards a sinner like me And as many of you know me, those of you that know me well, still know that I am a deeply broken and flawed human being. And God's grace continues to cover me over and over and over again, and it never gets old. It never gets old. But one of the first things that I did when I came back home from that mission trip, I sat down with my parents, I went into their room, I got on their bed, and I cried with them as I confessed my sin. Some stuff that they had never heard of Didn't even know that I was doing some of that stuff. And we just cried together as I confessed all of it. But then the crying kept going, but it changed. As we wept about the marvelous grace of Jesus Christ and about the transformation that happens when you trust in him. And I didn't have to do that. It wasn't a requirement for me to be Christian. It's just something that I wanted to do because I had an encounter with Jesus and I wanted to share him with people. So I started with the people closest to me, my family. And then I started writing letters to my younger brothers and to my sister, just encouraging them in the faith, just saying, hey, God loves you. Life's going to be hard, but there's a plan for your life and there's grace for you. Just trust in him. There's hope. There's hope. I went up to AM and there's a bunch of Upmores up at AM because Upmores are brainwashed and we have no other choice, so we all become Aggies, okay? And, and I went up there and I, I just wanted to sit down with any cousin that I could and just say, hey, listen, God loves you. I know you struggle with sin. God knows you struggle with sin, but He's provided a way. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. I did not have all the answers. Good heavens, no. But I knew that Jesus did And so I pointed people to Jesus I said I don't know all of life's hard questions But Jesus does Seek him Seek him And that's all that we're called to do church I think sometimes we get intimidated We think that we've got to be at this certain level of Christian No, just the gospel The simple gospel Point people to Jesus That's what we're called to do And naturally When you do that some people are going to respond critically. That's just part of it. And that's exactly what Nathaniel does. Philip says, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And then Nathaniel's response is this What good could come from Nazareth? It's interesting. Philip doesn't argue with him. Philip doesn't debate. Philip doesn't get Tim Keller's reasons for God and throw it in his face. Read it. He just invites him. He says, Hey, come and see. Come and see Nathaniel. He just imitates his Savior. And he says, why don't you just come see for yourself? I remember years ago, um, I was leading a Bible study uh, at UTSA. And I thought about this one atheist guy that I knew, and he was going to UTSA. And I decided just to send him a text. I said, hey, man, uh, we're doing a Bible study. You're more than welcome to come. And to my surprise, he responded back right away. And he said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. What time y'all start? <laughs> I oh, that was easy, okay? Um, and he was one of our more faithful members for months. Just came to our Bible study. Never said anything, but he was there listening to gospel conversations. All he needed was an invitation. That's all he needed. Church, how many people are in our lives that we've already written off? How many people have we, have we already decided That they are too far gone. Or like, man, I've already tried with them and they didn't believe. How about this? Let's just let God be God. Let's let God decide who he's going to save and who he's not going to save. And let's just do our job of unbiasedly inviting everybody and anybody to turn to Jesus for the salvation of their sins. We can't save anybody I have no power over your mind, over your soul. But what I can do is I can point you to the one who does. And his name is Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. And so my challenge to everybody in this room, my challenge to those of you watching online, is I want you to get out a sheet of paper at some point, maybe today or this week, or you can get on your computer, and I want you to namestorm. I want you to think about people in your sphere of influence who don't know Christ. Or maybe they do know Christ. But they ain't walking with them. And I want you to think about those people. And I want you to start praying for them. Start asking God to provide opportunities. A lot of us wonder why gospel opportunities don't happen. Well a lot of times we're not praying. And let's start by praying. But then don't stop there. Once you've prayed. I want you to ask God. I want you to circle a couple of those names. And I want you to say God give me boldness to share, share Christ with them. And then I want you to go do it. Go do it. And if you want help on how to go about sharing the gospel, please come talk to me. Email me. Email anybody on our pastoral team. It would be our joy. It would be our joy to walk with you and assist you as you try to learn how to share Christ with others. But I want to close our time by briefly examining Nathaniel's interaction with Jesus because it's so powerful. But once again... Look at how he responds to Philip. He says, can any good thing come from Nazareth? You can almost sense Nathanael's sneer. Nazareth, what good could come from there? Uh, It's interesting. Nathanael's from Galilee. And Galileans were viewed as uneducated sinners who had a questionable ancestry. And people from Judea would often look down on people from Galilee. You see, prejudice is not a new problem. It didn't start in 2020. It's been here a really long time. And prejudice has a trickle-down effect. Since Judeans sneered at Galileans, which made Galileans feel insecure, Galileans in turn sneered at people from Nazareth in order to boost their self-esteem. They reasoned, well, at least I'm not one of them. And it's one of the fundamental problems of the human race. Some neighborhoods have always looked down on other neighborhoods. And then usually, the neighborhoods that are looked down on will cope by choosing some other people to look down upon. That's the way it works. You see this type of mentality in families. You see it in schools. You see it in the workplace. You see it in politics. It's everywhere. Well, I got this sin problem, and yeah, it's bad, but at least I don't have that sin problem. Or yeah, my family's got some flaws, but at least we don't do stuff like that, family. Or hey, my political party's not perfect, but at least we're not like them. Be careful, church. Be careful. Pride comes before the fall. Don't be like Nathaniel. All of us, myself included, we got to watch out for our own pride and our own prejudice. Don't dismiss entire groups of people. It's a toxic mentality. And let us not forget that Jesus was from Nazareth. Jesus was from Nazareth. It's interesting, Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament. It's an uncelebrated, off-the-beaten path, looked down upon town. And for 30 years, Jesus grew up in this forgotten, neglected, and despised place. Often in the Gospels, when Jesus is referred to as Jesus of Nazareth, it's used in a derogatory way. You see in the cross, his name was inscribed above him in a mocking manner. Here's your king, Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth. But that's often how God works, right? We see this throughout the scriptures. God takes the forgotten ones, the despised ones, and he uses them for his glory because God remembers those that our society often forgets. He takes the barren woman and he gives her a child. He takes the youngest child, he makes him the king. He takes the sinner and he makes him the saint. That's who God is. And Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be spit on, to be viewed as less than, to be oppressed, to be cast out because Jesus is from Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. And I know there's a lot going on in our culture right now. But my prayer for the church, for all of us, is that we would examine our own lives because the reality is all of us have prejudice, myself included. And we need to come before our Savior who was from Nazareth and try to imitate him as he became a servant to all. And we need to ask God, hey, open my eyes. What are some of those prejudices in my own life? How can I better love others with self-sacrificial love? And then let's go do it. Because our culture desperately needs more salt and light. But notice, despite Nathaniel's skepticism, he goes with his friend Philip to meet Jesus. And when Jesus meets Nathaniel, he says two things. The first is insight to Nathaniel's character. Jesus says, there he is, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael's surprised. He's like, how do you know me? Have we met before? And Jesus just says nonchalantly, he says, brother, I saw you before Philip called you when you were still under that fig tree. We have no idea what was going on under the fig tree. Uh, It's never mentioned ever again in scripture. I don't personally think that Nathanael was sinning. Because fig trees, if you look at the scripture, they're often used as a metaphor between Israel and God. It's about that covenant relationship. Perhaps he was thinking about the kingdom. Perhaps he was thinking about this Messiah who would come. We will never know. We'll never know. But whatever Nathaniel was doing was so personal. It was so private. It was so intimate that he couldn't believe that Jesus knew about it. In fact, he reasoned in that moment that the only way that Jesus could possibly know what was going on under that fig tree is if Jesus was God himself. So in an instant, Nathanael goes from being a doubter to a follower. And Jesus kind of smirks. He's like, man, if you thought that was amazing, you ain't seen nothing yet, brother. And then Jesus references Jacob's dream in Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22, where Jacob has this vision of this ladder. That's connecting heaven to earth and there are angels that are descending and ascending on this ladder In his dream jacob sees that one day somehow there's going to be a connection between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm A connection with god himself where we'll be able to be in the very presence of god and jesus tells nathaniel i'm that way brother I'm that way I'm that ladder I'm that bridge that connects heaven to earth, that links man to God. Through my life, through my suffering, through the cross, through the resurrection, I'll usher you right into the presence of God. That is Jesus. That's Jesus. Listen, church, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're at. But what I do know is that God loves you. He loves you. He's seen you under that fig tree. He knows your every fault, the good ones and the really, really dark ones. And he still loves you. He still loves you. Loves you so much that he humbled himself, took on flesh, was obedient to God, suffered on a cross painfully, took on the sins of the world in order to show you, hey, I love you. I love you. And then the beautiful thing in this life is we have the beautiful opportunity to take this glorious message of hope and take it to the world. God will use your sphere of influence to save people and you get to be a part of that. So let's ask God, embolden us, help us to be courageous and share the love of Christ with others. He loves those who've been despised, looked down upon, rejected. He's been there. If that's you, if you feel that way, Jesus understands. He understands. And he'll use your brokenness and he'll use it for good. He'll use it for good. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we dive in, as we try to figure out who you are, There's revelation that comes out of it. It impacts our life. And God, I pray, I plead that you would help all of us to live out the words on these pages, to not just let our heads be full of knowledge, but it would be knowledge that would lead us to action. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his grace. Thank you for your love. We can never repay you and you don't want us to. We worship you, God we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. We hope that you have a great Sunday.